0: Good morning. Let's open our Bibles to the book of Acts, chapter 2. Pick up where we left off last week. Let me be up front with you. We're not going to have an Easter message per se this morning, although the resurrection will play a large part in what we're going to look at. Uh, <clears throat> the main portion of what we're going to study this morning is what might be defined in your Bible under the heading of Peter's first sermon. And the resurrection does play a part in that. Acts chapter 2 and verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men, from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. So they were all amazed and perplexed. Saying to one another, whatever could this mean? Others mocking said, they are all full of new wine. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. We're going to stop there in our reading. We'll pick up, leave you on the edge of your seat. We'll find out what Peter says in a minute. But uh, you do remember last week uh, that the The believers were waiting for the promise that the Lord had spoken of, the promise of the Holy Spirit. They were waiting in Jerusalem for that to come. They didn't know exactly when it was going to come, when it was going to happen, the Lord Jesus said, a few days from now. So they didn't know the exact time. But it's wonderful that in the uh, plan of God, the outpouring over the Holy Spirit, and then peter's sermon and the salvation of no less than three thousand people at once can you imagine occurred on the day of pentecost it's wonderful Um, in the uh jewish holiday system which in this case this is a major holiday it was really specified back in exodus actually the passover was and then leviticus is where god talked about uh, the feast of weeks um let me explain it uh pentecost uh, pardon me the passover of course was when they were delivered from egypt and we know the lord jesus was crucified remember on the passover beautiful picture of the lamb of god then there's a period of seven weeks between passover and pentecost it's called the feast of weeks and that period then pr- probably more today was really a celebration of of the end gathering of the harvest in particular the grain harvest barley and wheat and so on and it was capped off on the 50th day that's why penta pentecost um with the the feast of pentecost a big celebration and it really uh was also called the feast of first fruits isn't that beautiful here christ died was buried and rose again all around the passover picturing the sacrifice of the lamb now 50 days later He sees the fruit of his his labor. 3,000 souls, men and women, fit for heaven now because of his work. First fruits. Isn't that great? I think that's wonderful. It's not an accident. God planned it that way. And uh, you saw verse 2. It says, suddenly uh, there came the sound. They didn't know when it was going to happen. Uh, But there is an important phrase in here. In verse 1 it says they were all with one accord in one place remember we we pointed that out last week we saw that phrase we're going to see it again next week it's an important phrase throughout acts they were all with one accord they were in unity they were together agreeing together that's not an accident god blesses that when we come together as believers and it doesn't just mean united in doctrine united in purpose in serving the lord jesus christ and i see i think that's important that uh, they saw the blessing of God in that situation. They were ready for the blessing of God because they were of one accord. A couple of things to note here. I think we get a mental image when we hear this and we kind of picture this kind of mini hurricane, you know, blowing through the, the, the room and everybody's hair going everywhere and papers flying and so on. That's totally wrong. Let's look carefully at what God says. He says, there came a sound from heaven not a wind a sound as of a rushing mighty wind we need to be careful in our bible study he doesn't say a wind he says a sound as of a wind okay when you study the bible be careful in revelation is full of things like like as when you see that he's trying to draw a parallel with something we're used to the sound was like a mighty wind you've heard uh, people interviewed who've survived tornadoes and co- commonly, the phrase is: as they hear it approaching, they say it sounded like a freight train. You ever heard that? It's like a freight train approaching. It's an awesome sound. Well, that's the picture here: the sound of a mighty. It was the sound, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Again, verse three: it says there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire. So don't picture a little campfire on top of everybody's head. It, they were tongues as of fire okay was it fire (laughs) okay good thing too okay so also we know that it was audible for a great distance through jerusalem how do we know that well in verse five it says people from uh, jerusalem all around heard this sound and they all went over to the place where uh, the disciples were and gathered you know to say check it out well what was that Also, uh, it was only the believers that that saw the tongues. It says uh, they saw the tongues. There appeared to them, verse 3. And finally, the thing to notice is that no believer was left out. It says that uh, each of them had the the, uh, symbol on their head and each one received the Holy Spirit. No one was left out. And of course, that's true today. Remember we said that last week, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, When we talked about that. The moment you are saved, you receive the holy spirit you are baptized with the holy spirit you don't have to tarry wait for it pray for it or do anything else it's a sovereign work of god in the life of every true believer the moment they are saved Uh, interesting that the moment they're baptized in this case they're also filled with the holy spirit remember we said last week filled from ephesians means to be controlled by the holy spirit it's interesting I've seen that. Maybe you've noticed that too. When somebody gets saved and uh, they're indwelt by the Holy Spirit, they're also filled. They have such a joy of the Lord. You remember that? Believer, when you were saved, boy, I remember the joy of the Lord. It was great knowing my sins were forgiven forever. Praise God. And the the Holy Spirit just takes control of of the believer. And that's what happened here. They were filled the moment they were baptized. But now for us, it's a day-to-day choice for us whether we're filled with the spirit or not it's up to us we're commanded to do that <clears throat> notice also that uh, it says um they uh, had this gift of tongues and their languages it's not ecstatic utterances it's not babbling they're real languages in fact if you uh, notice the list there first of all most of those are not just languages they're regions very large regions and so I believe there were probably there are 16 regions here. I believe there are more than 16 languages. Probably we had 120 believers. Uh, the other thing to realize here is we, we get this picture here of all of a sudden, all 120 believers just <laughs> bursting out and speaking in all these languages. You know, Arabic, Phrygian, who knows what else? Greek, Latin. Uh, does, that, does that fit with scripture? Would the Holy Spirit do that? no where and we can confirm that with scripture first corinthians 14 where god talks about this gift to the early church of speaking in a foreign language one of the number one rules for its exercise was what one at a time since the holy spirit was the one behind this event i firmly believe that he followed his own rules okay so that uh probably a, a, the holy spirit would uh raise up a believer he or she would speak in the language that he had enabled wouldn't that be interesting to suddenly be able to speak german you know wouldn't that be cool or arabic you know whoever the brother or sister the holy spirit would would move in them and they would stand up and they would speak the wonders of god in this language that before then they had never been able to speak well, isn't that wonderful but there was a purpose to it because there were arab speaking uh jews mostly in the in the audience and so they could understand and one at a time they would stand up and speak in a different language the the works of god the wonderful works of god in this wonderful event here if you think about it um, the purposes of god are so manifold you know we we do one thing and we generally have one purpose in mind We're, we're pretty simple that way aren't we god does something well he he has man he's manifold that means many varied many purposes when he does something i can think of at least six things that he accomplished here in this event first of all uh we now have spirit-filled believers to serve god isn't that good can you imagine trying to serve god without being involved by the holy spirit we couldn't do it uh <laughs> we'd be dismal failures to do the work of god without the enabling the indwelling of the holy spirit would be impossible and as we said last week you know satan never imagined this satan is always responding to god and when he's when he's opposing the works of god he has to wait and see what god is going to do and so on the cross the devil was utterly defeated because here god the son comes as a man and the devil doesn't know what he's up to the whole ministry And when he finally gets him on the cross, he thinks, I've won. And God turns it around, and the devil is lost. And it's too late. And so now, Christ has finished the work. Uh, The message needs to go out now that Christ has died for our sins. Believe in him, and you will be saved. How is God going to, what's he going to do next? The devil doesn't know. The believers don't even know, really. And so, the surprise he has for the devil, and for the believers too, is, that no one less than God himself is going to come and reside inside each believer. Isn't that incredible? And empower the believers to do the work of speaking the message. The devil never expected something like that to happen. And as I said last week, all of a sudden now, we had 120 believers to begin with. We're going to multiply that by a factor of 25 because by the end of the message, before the, the devil can respond, you've got 3,000 spirit-filled, spirit-baptized believers serving God. And now many of them going back to their homes all over the roman empire isn't that great man god is great uh the second thing god accomplished here with just the uh giving of the holy spirit was it, it gathered a crowd to hear a message didn't it you know if pre- if someone's going to preach the gospel let's get people to hear well they could have uh, maybe xeroxed up some tracks or something and, and gone all over jerusalem you know say come on peter's going to be speaking in two hours God just did it with this incredible sound that was audible for a great ways over Jerusalem. Uh, third, we know from the rest of scripture that this gift of the uh, speaking in a foreign language, speaking in tongues, is really a sign of judgment to the nation of Israel. Did you know that? Some did. I saw, I saw one head nod. <laughs> we better look at it. 1 Corinthians 14. Listen, when God does something like this, he has uh, wonderful purposes. And here, it's so uh, wonderful, it's a really a double fulfillment of a prophecy. 1 Corinthians 14, this, uh, most of you should know, is before the chapter 15, the chapter on the resurrection. 14 has a lot to do with the gift of tongues and the gift of prophecy and comparing the two. And he tells the Corinthian believers here, in verse 20 paul is writing brethren do not be children in understanding however in malice be babes but in understanding be mature in the law it is written with men of other tongues and other lips i will speak to this people and yet for all that they will not hear me says the lord therefore tongues are for a sign not to those who believe but to unbelievers it was not to be ministered for the sake of of the believers if you want to uh, edify the believers by speaking the works of god speak in the language they understand and that gift is prophecy that's basically what he's saying in this chapter Uh, but prophesying is not for unbelievers but for those who believe that's what he said i just paraphrased that before i read it and you're maybe you're still scratching your head and saying well i don't get it you know what's what's the big deal here well the big deal is that if you look in the old testament god repeatedly really beginning back in deuteronomy uh, told the Jews over and over again, if you uh, break the covenant with, with me and you go pursue idols and you forsake me, I'm going to judge you. I'm going to send you as captive into other nations. And you're going to know that I judged you when you hear this foreign language that you don't understand. That's kind of scary. I mean, Imagine being a Jew and all of a sudden here you are transported off to Assyria or Babylon, this totally foreign culture, and there are all these people around you and you can't understand a word they're saying. You're in a hostile environment. You don't even like the food, you know? I've been to Europe uh, four times, and it's a wonderful place, but I'll tell you, it's so good to get back to the United States. Uh, I was there four weeks once, and it's, it's, it's trying for a while, you know? It helps you appreciate missionaries just a little bit more. To go to another culture and another language, even though we have a European background, it's tough being around people who don't you know they don't talk english they don't eat american food (laughs) in fact mannerisms you got to be careful sometimes well that's what god was telling them you're going to find yourself in this very uncomfortable place you know assyria babylon or who knows where in this foreign element as captives if you persist in disobeying me and sure enough we know that Babylon and Assyria—they woke up and here's this language going around. They didn't understand a word that's being said. Well, God used that as a double prophecy because He judged Israel. We already saw here at the transition to the church, He's laying Israel aside now as a nation, and He's bringing up a new nation, but not one with political boundaries. All believers who are indwelt by the Holy Spirit form this new nation, the church. And as a sign that He's done that to the nation, He uses this foreign language uh judgment again isn't that cool okay that's a third uh purpose god achieved here the fourth thing is that this very important we said this last week it is going to be very hard for for the jews from peter on down to accept the fact that um this message they're going to be preaching of salvation through jesus christ is meant equally for the gentiles as it is for the jews we don't really understand how hard that was and uh, when we get into it later in chapter 10 when peter goes to cornelius uh, he he basically went kicking and screaming he did not want to go to a gentile's house he certainly didn't want to go and preach to them but god as he said later in in his defense to the jews who took him to task for doing it he said who was i to resist god you know in other words if god made me do it i'm not going to i'm not going to disobey him but the key uh event when he preached to cornelius and the other gentiles there think about it a second he preaches the gospel and uh cornelius is sitting over there listening you know to peter preaching and he says praise god i believe i believe in jesus i'm saved i must be indwelt by the holy spirit now how would peter know that how could he know it how could he, is he going to see it no So God made sure that Peter and the other Jews with him knew that the Gentiles were going to be treated by God in exactly the same way in this new nation, the church. Because when Cornelius and the others believed, if you read there, they had the exact same experience that the Jews had here at Pentecost. They received the Holy Spirit. They began to speak in foreign languages immediately. And Peter was taken aback. It blew him away. Because the last time he saw that was back at Pentecost and uh he says who who can refuse water i like the way he puts it who can refuse water for these to be baptized who have received the holy spirit just as we did you getting that it's incredibly important that god had a link with them being saved so they would know that when he preached the gospel it was meant for the uh, gentiles just as much as for the jews Okay, well, the fifth thing God accomplished here in this wonderful event is it's nice that it was on Pentecost because of the symbolism. It was also nice because there's a lot of extra people in town for the holiday. Isn't that great? So you've got this extra large crowd who can then go back. And finally, as I said, it's the first salvo in the spiritual war that begins here and is continued to this day over the souls of men. And after the first salvo, God has already raised up 3,000 soldiers to compliment is 120 okay well we're gonna find out what's God's strategy if you will in this spiritual warfare and in particular of getting the message out of what Jesus has done for the benefit of everyone and his strategy is very simply the preaching of the gospel and that's what we're gonna see here uh, with Peter's message it's uh, it's interesting we talked last week, uh, I told you about that quote I saw recently, what was it, 1,210 churches in the United States today have attendances, they're megachurches, of over 2,000 per week. That's, you, you multiply that out, you're talking about, uh, what, 2.5 million people every Sunday. And the, the typical scene in, in the megachurch is it's an entertainment spectacle that's why people are so happy to go there's drama there are plays with professional actors professional singers professional bands that's why people go (laughs) you wouldn't want to miss it the problem is there's one little thing that's been kind of laid aside because people don't like it we saw that in second timothy it's the preaching of the gospel you know the opening of god's word like we're doing right now and saying what saith the lord it's been thrown aside. It's a minor minor thing, except that's the one tool God has chosen to use to save souls. <laughs> Read 1 Corinthians 1, over and over, he says, it's the preaching of the cross that God has chosen. It's foolishness to, to most, but it's the wisdom of God. And if you're here today and you're a believer, you know you are saved, I am saved, because somewhere, someplace, not necessarily from a pulpit, someone shared with you the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you're going to heaven not because you heard a stand-up comedian tell jokes from the Bible or because you saw a great drama demonstration of how to deal with your drug-taking son. It was because someone shared the word of God. And when you believed that message, you were saved. That's the way God did it here. And that's the way he continues to do it. He hasn't changed. It's interesting. if If you look at the list of spiritual gifts, think about it. And we're going to see Peter's sermon here. And we're going to see him probably exhibiting three of the gifts that God gave to the church to help us together. Preaching, teaching, and evangelism. The interesting thing about that is you will not find on the list the gift of stand-up comedy. The gift of acting. Not even the gift of singing, which is a wonderful thing and glorifying the God, isn't it? Isn't that interesting? No drama gift sorry preaching teaching evangelism yeah okay let's let's see now what peter says when he stands up to speak verse 14 but peter standing up with the eleven raised his voice and said to them men of judea and all who dwell in jerusalem let this be known to you and heed my words for these are not drunk as you suppose since it is only the third hour of the day but this is what was spoken of by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last day, says God, that I will pour out of my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath. Blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know, him, being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified, and put to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. For David says concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart rejoiced, and my tongue was glad, Moreover, my flesh also will rest in hope, for you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of joy in your presence. Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh he would raise up the christ to sit on his throne he foreseeing this spoke concerning the resurrection of the christ that his soul was not left in hades nor did his flesh see corruption this jesus god has raised up of which we are all witnesses therefore being exalted to the right hand of god and having received from the father the promise of the holy spirit He poured out this, which you now see and hear. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he says himself, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Woo! now i don't know about you but uh, that's a moving sermon and we know it had an effect because it says in verse 37 when they heard this they were cut to the heart the interesting thing is uh, this is not everything peter said Uh, for example in verse 40 it goes on to say and with many other words he testified and exhorted them saying be saved from this perverse generation peter spoke for quite a, a while here on the day of pentecost god just gave us the highlight. And so, it, it's called a sermon, but really it only took me a couple of minutes to read it, didn't it? <clears throat> and by the time he had finished, uh, to the point we stopped at there, the audience was, uh, cut to the heart. So, what I want to do now is just, let's look at this sermonette and, and see what we can learn from it. <clears throat> and as we, we see what Peter said, by the way, under the control of the Holy Spirit, there's going to be at least 11 uh elements here of the sermon that really make up a good evangelistic message and the amazing thing is peter had never been into the interim program or a seminary but he just spent 40 days with jesus i think that's probably as good what do you think <laughs> first of all notice <clears throat> excuse me the authority that he begins with listen to this: men of judea and all who dwell in jerusalem <clears throat> let this be known to you and heed my words listen to that is this the same peter that was warming himself by the fires of the enemies of jesus and denying that he even knew jesus with curses no this is peter filled with the holy spirit and he's a different man pay attention he says i got something important to say here that's important by the way Uh, i remember gene he would always quote uh, this verse when you speak uh the words of god speak as of the oracles of god if any man speaks let him speak as of the oracles of god that was one of his favorite verses when teaching men just to, to preach or teach and he'd always talk about the guys that get up there you know and they fumble the change in their pocket and they apologize for being up here but you know they they were told to give a message and so here they are you know and they really didn't have a message until they prayed about it and and finally god woke them up this morning and he gave them a message and and so it's the best they can do and hello you think you'd be moved by a speaker like that and it's i think it's fitting that it's peter who wrote those words in first peter if any man speak let him speak as of the oracles of god if you can't do that then sit down and shut up and peter i'll tell you he's speaking the oracles of god here so we're going to look at these elements now as we go through them and the first element of a, of a good evangelistic message i used to go out with a, a brother when i was a young believer uh who preached in the open air over at the cable car turnaround in san francisco that's challenging work let me tell you i know eric's done it open air preaching cold turkey you just go out somewhere somewhere there's a lot of people and you start preaching christ and uh, this brother i remember this one time it really turned into a wonderful message a kite they fly kites over there a lot, you know, in the marina area, had come down and had gotten tangled in a, in a tree. And the guy was going through all kinds of machinations to try to get this thing out without tearing the kite. And everybody was just, you know, everybody waiting in the cable car turnaround was just enraptured watching this guy try to save his kite. And he, he used the idea that that kite was helpless and could not get itself out, it turned it to the gospel, how we're helpless in our sin. It was a wonderful message and peter does that here he begins with what everybody's gawking about everybody's come what's that sound you know so he begins by explaining to them no they're not drunk this is actually a fulfillment of scripture so there's the first principle he uh ties in an, uh, what's going on right now with the message always good billy graham was always good at that making making the latest quotes from newsweek or time or or the headlines, you know, in, the, in uh, the news. And tie it into the gospel. Then, in, uh, this is wonderful. He immediately, the very next thing is to quote scripture. I think that's pretty important, don't you? Maybe to use the Bible when you preach? Huh? I wonder, don't raise your hands, how many have actually memorized this passage that he quotes from memory from Joel? <laughs> Maybe Bill. these are five good verses here from joel that he quotes from memory now remember peter didn't have a bible he's a fisherman what he hears of the bible is a scroll that's rolled out in the synagogue by the rabbis on sabbath he doesn't go home and, and open his Schofield bible and check out the notes at the bottom to find out what it means and yet this brother has got memorized this section out of a minor prophet huh does that put us to shame or what? And uh, something about this now, this is the second principle, by the way, support your message with scripture. Um, when you read the scripture, brothers, if you're given a devotional or or sharing with someone or preaching or teaching or whatever you're going to do, it's tendency in young, young believers, or, or women too, if you're sharing with a, another woman, um, to read too much scripture. There's a real temptation, you've got a, a great verse, it's the middle of matthew 28 and you begin to read and you read the whole chapter you ever see anybody do that i have all the time it's well-meaning but listen this is potent stuff and you go reading a whole chapter of this to the ears of real believers and they're hearing all of these wonderful things from god and they're trying to figure out what am i supposed to focus on here and then you get done you go back now what i was interested in was verse 14 you know and you got to go back and try to re- what, are, what are we talking about here only quote what is essential to what you're teaching or preaching or what your message is about and peter does that it's very important he doesn't quote the whole chapter of joel he begins with the right place the prophecy of pouring out the spirit right by the way uh, let me say because i know everybody's sitting there going blood and fire and in darkness and blood oh, what is all that stuff well you, I, most of you know by now th- this passage has a double fulfillment certainly a lot of this is talking about the day of the lord in fact that phrase is in here which is the end times the tribulation the darkening of the moon uh, and the sun and so on didn't happen on this day of pentecost okay we well, said well why did peter quote it then well the reason he was was because he wanted to use the verses at the beginning and that last verse at the end because look at that last verse what does it say and it shall come to pass that whoever calls in the name of the lord shall be saved isn't that a great lead into a gospel message so he could have quoted 17 and 18 skipped 19 and 20 and then jumped to 21 that's okay but people accuse you of taking verses out of context if you do that so he just quoted the whole section i think that's great and now he's made his transition hasn't he with that last verse that comes from the section of, of explaining what these people have been seeing, now we're getting into the gospel already. Whoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. What a great text, huh? Okay, then he picks up with that. And really, he doesn't explain uh, any more on that section because he wants to get in the gospel, and in a particular, to preach Christ. And that's the third uh, aspect element in a, in a gospel message preach christ now this is important here in verse 22 notice what he says men of israel hear these words jesus of nazareth he doesn't say jesus christ now we, we're so familiar with that we always say jesus christ remember what does the word christ mean to the jews messiah it's a loaded word okay and he's not quite ready to drop them on that on them yet First, he's going to bring back to their uh, attention Jesus, the man whom they all know and have heard about some seen, maybe some even had benefit from in healings or something. And then he's going to make an argument from the Old Testament about the identity of the Christ, and he's going to put the two together at the very end in that great statement. This Jesus, whom you crucified, god has made both lord and christ you see that's where he's going with this so He just says jesus of nazareth but he's preaching jesus now Uh, another good principle in verse 22 is when you speak speak to your audience think of who your audience is i've worked with some brothers uh, who've uh, delivered sermons and i look at their illustrations and often Their illustrations are all from their own sphere of life. You know, the guy's a businessman. And so all of his his, uh, illustrations are from, you know, what goes on in the business world, in the office, and all that kind of stuff. And you've got children in the audience. You've got wives. You've got men that work out in the field. Think of your audience when you use illustrations. Jesus, look at his illustrations. Everybody could relate to them. And uh, Peter brings his audience in here by reminding them by the way uh, this stuff i'm talking about jesus you all remember it you were there he says that as you yourselves also know Uh, another one he's already bringing conviction of sin if you're going to preach the gospel that's going to be the main hindrance to getting saved isn't it i just don't think i'm that bad and so he's going to start bringing a conviction of sin here by first reminding them that god was with jesus in his ministry And what he's going to set up is a God versus you picture here. God did this, but you did this. Understand? That's great. Because after he says that in verse 22, talking about the signs and wonders that Jesus did, which they all knew about, he then tells them plainly, 23, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death. Whoa. Now, I'd do a double take if I were sitting in the audience there, having heard that God was with Jesus, uh, worked through him mighty wonders, and now I'm the one that took this Jesus and killed him. By the way, you notice here that uh, Peter has this wonderful mix of the sovereignty of God and the and the uh, work of men, the free will of men in one verse. I love it because they're both true but you may sit here and say why in the world did he do it here i think it's very important that he that he's he talked about the fact that jesus was delivered up by the determined pers- purpose and foreknowledge of god because if you left that out and he went right to the fact that after jesus had done these miracles the jews took jesus and crucified him you know what that would sound like it would sound like the defeated god like they messed up god's plan doesn't it and so he doesn't let them off the hook they're still responsible because he uses that word lawless he says you took jesus with lawless hands and crucified him so there's no doubt they are guilty but at the same time it's wonderful he lets them know that above all of this was the overarching plan of god isn't that great so that he reminds them that god is a lot greater than they ever thought and <laughs> that he used all of this stuff for his own purposes and glory while at the same time reminding them they are guilty of a very great sin and uh, 24 every one of these verses is a gem he doesn't just say and uh, jesus uh, raised from the dead first of all whom god raised up whoa you just crucified him (laughs) god raised him up after you got done how would you feel being told that but then Uh, I love this, having loose the pains of death because, listen to this, it was not possible he should be held by it. Isn't that wonderful? He doesn't just say Jesus raised from the dead. He said, it was not possible that the Lord of life could stay in the grave. That's a contradiction in terms. It was not possible that Jesus would stay in the grave. Man, praise God. Back to scripture. By the way, it's... uh, it's a good uh, indication that expository preaching is a good thing that is preaching verse by verse of the bible because peter does it and one-fourth of uh, his text here is directly from the bible so he's not overdoing it (coughs) so now he turns (coughs) to another passage in the psalms that's why he says in verse 25 david says concerning him now let's look at um the passage he uses here, again, he uses just the right text. He begins, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. You say, Well, why is he doing that? What he's after in this verse is two things prophecies of two things. One, the resurrection of Christ. Secondly, the prophecy of his ascension. And they're both in this verse. Now, really the resurrection begins in 26 the problem is that verse begins with a therefore and that's a conclusion and so rightly so he goes back into the previous verse in the psalm where really it's describing in david's mind his own resolution his determination to hang on to god through his trials but prophetically it's talking about the determination of the lord jesus christ and his work for us and then in 26 it talks about the prophecy of the of the resurrection you say well where's that i don't see the word resurrection in there it's right at the end moreover my flesh also will rest in hope what is that that's a certainty that i will be raised from the dead that's what david is saying now i don't know if david understood all the things he said when he wrote that but that's clearly what that is saying my flesh will rest in hope bodily resurrection you see that i see a few nodding heads Now, the Jews got all this, and they didn't even have a Bible in front of them. (laughs) Uh, Next is clearly the resurrection. For you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. There it is. That's a clear prophecy of the resurrection, isn't it? And then finally, you have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of joy in your presence. There's the ascension to the very right hand of God now that he 's got that text, uh, Peter preaches expository that is he goes through the passage down and he explains it to them. Another principle here in uh, verse twenty nine look at this i don 't know how to say a friendly way he talks to them. He says, Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you isn 't that good? Yeah, I like that uh and he and he and then he says in this friendly way now when david wrote these things he obviously couldn't be talking about himself because david is buried (laughs) he's dead he's not resurrected in fact we couldn't do this but peter could apparently they at least thought they knew where david's tomb was and so he says his tomb is with us to this day so what he's saying is this passage about resurrection david wrote them but he wasn't talking about himself so he says in verse 30 therefore being a prophet and you may sit here and say wait a minute the prophets were let's see isaiah jeremiah ezekiel daniel hosea those are the prophets maybe moses david was a king no david was also a prophet wasn't he go look at the psalms he 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 spoke the word of god and not only that he did things other prophets did he told the future read psalm 22 read this psalm psalm 16 <laughs> is prophesying the resurrection yeah david was a prophet uh, being a prophet <clears throat> and knowing that god had sworn with an oath to him that uh, of the fruit of his body according to the flesh he would raise up the christ to sit on his throne there peter knows his bible god did indeed promise to david that he would have offspring that would sit on his throne forever it's all over the old testament he begins really in first samuel And by the time he gets to Psalm 132, I believe it is, he does indeed. God swears with an oath that he will uh, have seed of David sitting on his throne. So, knowing all of that, Peter says, in verse 31, he's drawing to his conclusion. He's going to do the ascension and then he's going to put it all together. Verse 31, he, David, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of the Messiah, okay that's what the jew would hear christ the messiah that his soul this is one of the cases where we can get an idea of the emphasis in the message this is how peter would have said it the resurrection of the christ that his soul was not left in hades nor did his flesh see corruption in other words not david's the messiahs this jesus there he's returning now this is the second time he's mentioned the name of jesus and he hasn't said jesus christ yet this jesus god has raised up of which we are all witnesses in other words we're getting to let's see david prophesied that the messiah would be raised from the dead hmm jesus was raised from the dead what's one plus one you know which hand has the marble in it another uh good element of preaching he introduces a word of personal testimony He says here, of which we are all witnesses. He's saying, I saw the risen Christ. I know this happened. Then uh, 33 through 35, he talks about the second prophecy, the prophecy of the ascension, (coughs) being raised to heaven and sitting at the right hand of God. And uh, says that the, the promise of the Holy Spirit has been fulfilled on this day before them. In 34 and 35, he quotes scripture for the last time and it's a wonderful text because jesus used this text toward the end of his ministry this one here the lord said to my lord sit at my right hand till i make your enemies your footstool it's a wonderful verse to use uh, for unbelieving jews if you remember in matthew 22 the jews were really trying to come down on jesus and they were trying him right and left with all these crazy questions they were trying to trip him up and in there, one came and said, uh, if you remember this, is it lawful to pay, pay taxes or not? Is that ever a loaded question, huh? Because the Jews hated to pay taxes. And if you would asked one of the Pharisees, they'd privately say, I don't want to do it. I hate it. You know, if you can get around it, don't do it. If you can find a way, if there's a loophole in the 1040, look for it. But publicly, they were afraid and they'd have to, they pay their taxes, Okay. But now Jesus is on the uh, in the hot seat, and they ask him publicly, "Okay, tell us." And if he says, "Yeah, it's lawful," then he's going to make enemies of the people who hate paying taxes. And if and if he says, "Part," if he says yes, and if he says no, don't pay him. He's breaking the law, right? And of course, we all know what he said: "Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and render to God the things that are God's." Isn't that great? Could you put down the Pharisees in a few short words like that? man well they were done with him twice again in that chapter they came up the sadducees dreamed up this crazy scenario Uh, they said we had a man among us or actually we had seven brothers among us i don't think this was true Uh, you know the first brother married a wife he died so she remarried because of the levitical law the second the second brother and the third he died the third brother you remember this right through all seven brothers She'd been married to every one of them. Finally, the last one died. Now in heaven, which one is she going to be married to? You know, and they're thinking, "Man, we've really got him now." And I love his comeback. He says, "You you neither know the scripture nor the power of God, because in heaven they're neither they neither married nor given in marriage. We have a better bridegroom, it's Jesus Christ. You don't need husbands and wives anymore. That's what he's basically teaching them." Well, they didn't give up, of course. They came up with the, the great big question that uh, the rabbis just argued and loved to argue and argue about it. What's the greatest commandment? They probably figured he probably hadn't thought about that deep one before. And he came right out and said it. You know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he's exactly right. Well, when he was done, it was, he was ready to get crucified. It was right at the end of his ministry. He turned around to them and he said, Now, let me ask you a question. <coughs> the messiah whose son is he well you know, they have to say david they all know that it's all over the old testament and then he pulls out this verse right here that peter's using he says well how is it that uh, david wrote the lord said to my lord sit at my right hand till i make your enemies your footstool because let's think about what david's saying here david's saying the lord god jehovah said to my lord And they take that to be the Messiah, by the way. Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. This is a prophecy of God saying to the Messiah, rest here at my side until I make all your enemies uh, your footstool. They knew that. They understood that interpretation. And he says to them, well, let's see here. David is speaking and he says, the Lord said to my Lord. Now the lord the lord said to my lord my lord there is the messiah but he's supposed to be my david's son so how can he be david's son and be his lord at the same time can you figure that one out well it's god the son come as a man of course and it says they didn't dare ask him a question afterwards not surprisingly and here, Peter, I believe uh, this certainly must have been one of the passages the Lord Jesus taught the disciples during the 40 days with them, among the many other Old Testament scriptures regarding himself. <clears throat> well, he, he's painted the picture now. The Messiah is clearly prophesied in the Old Testament to be raised from the dead to ascend to the right hand of God. This Jesus has been raised from the dead, and he's now seated at the right hand of God. And he puts it all together in this wonderful, booming conclusion. Therefore, you could just hear him say it with triumph. Let all the house of Israel know, assuredly, that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Whoo! Isn't that good? And when they heard it, they were cut to the heart. Now, uh, i've skipped over a couple of other elements one of the good elements obviously is to have a challenge in your message well here it is and i don't think peter thought he was done he hadn't uh, done the invitation yet (laughs) you know with every uh head bowed and every eye closed you know raise your hand but the sermon was so powerful that it cut to their hearts and this this is the ideal situation the listeners interrupt him And ask him, what do we need to do? Woo! That's every preacher's dream. Huh? I love it. Men and brethren, what shall we do? What's the first word out of Peter's mouth? Repent. Yeah, that's what they've got to do. Yeah, they're right. They need to do something. And that's it. Turn from their sins and acknowledge Jesus Christ that's it boy i don't think he had enough follow-up people planned ahead of time to go around and circulate among the three thousand new converts do you but god must have done the follow-up three thousand in one shot no invitation no closing prayer Uh, notice by the way this is very important it was not the miracles the sound the, the speaking in uh, foreign languages, uh, healing some kind of pyrotechnics, it was not that that produced the fruit. it was the preaching of the message of Christ. Very important. And in fact, it, we were given that in verse 41, then those who gladly received his word, not those who were highly impressed, or those who had a good time, or those who laughed at the jokes no those who received his word those who believed the word were saved and then baptized it's very important and as i said last week uh, we've seen through the history of the church certainly that uh, all the pyrotechnics slowly died out as god then gave us his word this is what he wants us to be saved on the basis of you know we really like miracles and signs We'd, the jews loved them even we have to say as gentiles it's it's neat. but let me tell you a miracle or a sign will not save you you know that it'll get you uh, excited it might arouse your interest in more miracles and that's what happened a lot during the ministry of jesus here's the problem salvation only comes from a personal admission of complete failure failure to please god in any way is a miracle going to do that uh-uh. you must be brought to the point of utter unworthiness of anything but eternal punishment is a miracle going to do that Uh. Uh-uh. <laughs> and brought to the point of complete helplessness to do anything about it signs not going to do that and the key here After all that, and we can be brought to that point and still not be saved, by the way. There's an action that has to take place. Peter said it. Repent. Having been brought to that point, be willing to change, to turn from my former life to Jesus Christ as my Lord. Signs won't do that. We can only be brought to that point, which is where God wants every man, woman, and child to come by persuasion by the Holy Spirit through his word just as it was on pentecost so it is today he hasn't changed it's the absolute truth those things i've just said our helplessness our sinfulness i can say with confidence that everybody in this room only deserves you want to know what you deserve what i deserve deserves hell forever i'm talking about the believers too everybody in this room that's what we deserve the believers are the ones who have finally come to that point and totally agree with god without any objection without any crying or screaming yes god you're right and say lord i am a sinner help or i'm lost this is also by the way it's not a popular message that's not a pleasant thing to do is it that's not fun that's not a nice thing to acknowledge about myself but what if it's true which it is and that's the problem most people refuse to go there really most people don't want to don't want to hear that that's why you don't see two thousand people out here today by the way, let's think about it. The message I just summarized for you. Is there any other message in the world like that? Think about all the other religious messages. Do you know what all the other religious messages say? In some form or other, they say, you can do it. There's something be a good person, you know, go to confession, climb St. Peter's on your knees until they're bloody. Uh, go throw stones at the devil in mecca you know we could we could go through all the religions because we we don't want to let go of being able to do something we don't like that that helplessness there has to be something that commends me to god even even the fake gospel where it's half jesus and half me which by the way is none of jesus as soon as you've done that the devil has all kinds of alternatives to please people who don't want the genuine gospel, the message that hurts. Everything from salvation by work, salvation by works plus Jesus. Uh places where I can talk about Jesus, I can sing about Jesus, I can go to church, but don't mess with my lifestyle. I can attend a Bible believing church, a Bible teaching church, and keep the Lord at arm's length. Or go to the mega church and look around at two thousand people with Bibles and talking and singing about God i must be okay two thousand people can't be wrong it's interesting we'll close with this that um we mentioned last week the church of laodicea the the letters to the churches in revelation i believe are really a progression they show the history of the church and the last one the church at laodicea is the one where everybody's rich and healthy and they feel fine and they say i don't need a thing i have need of nothing and jesus looks them in the eye and he says you are blind because you're poor wretched miserable blind and naked we're in the church of laodicea right now in this age brothers and sisters it's all around us church today is a fun experience meant to titillate the excitement and the interesting thing to me about the church at laodicea that much abused verse everybody in here has heard it that's used in evangelism behold i stand at the door and knock If any man open the door, I will come into him and sup with him, or later translations, dine with him, and he with me. How many have heard that in an evangelistic context? Coming to Jesus, right? Think about what he's really talking about there. He's talking to a church. And the sad thing about that church of today is he's calling to single individuals within this dead church And he's telling them, if anybody in that dead church hears my voice, because you're not going to hear it in the dramas and the entertainment on Sunday, but if you hear it somehow through my word, let that individual open the door and I will come into him one on one. He's not, he's, the church is dead. Do you understand? And he's talking about individuals one at a time who finally see the light through the work of the Holy Spirit. And the, it's sad when when jesus says there i will come into him it's two words i will come in to him not into inside of it's not saying i will come inside of him he's saying i will come in the door unto him you understand the difference he's not stressing the idea of coming into my heart he's stressing this fact of having fellowship with me when i trust him i will come into him and he will dine i will dine with him and he with me okay brothers and sisters so i'm speaking to the believers here i think of romans 10 which talks about the preaching of the word there's a sequence there it says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of god that's the way it happened on pentecost and that's the way it still happens today and if you're saved you know that's how it happened with you amen if there's an exception to that, to that, talk to me afterwards. I'd like to hear how it happened. But there's a, there's a series of questions he asked there in uh, Romans 10. You know, How should they, hear, how should they uh, believe in him of whom they have not heard and so on? I'm going to reverse that and think about the five words of actions there in Romans 10. First, in order for people to hear this wonderful message and be saved, preachers have to be sent, right? Okay, well, that's already happened. Because every Christian is, is supposed to be a preacher, a speaker of the gospel. So that is already God has already sent everyone here who knows the Lord Jesus to speak the gospel. The preachers have been sent. Step one has already happened. Okay? Step two, the preachers have to what? Yeah, amen. Speak about Jesus like Peter did. Now you have to do that and I have to do that part. And we're not talking about with this thing in front of you. We're talking about the pulpit of uh, the living room couch, the back door fence, the gas pump. Those are the pulpits. Okay? The listeners then have to hear. Now, you don't have a lot to do with that. That's up to the listener. They have to pay attention. But God the Holy Spirit is helping during all of this. Isn't that good? He helps the preacher and the listener. Finally, those listeners who hear, it's up to them now to believe, to receive that message and the wonderful thing is when they do that they're saved and they're baptized by the holy spirit that's not a small thing brothers and sisters by speaking the simple message and by people believing that message think about it they're going to heaven is that pretty good stuff or what man so let me ask the question paul asked in romans 10 how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard And too often that verse is used to talk about people in third world countries, primitive peoples with loin skins, you know, living in grass huts. You know who else that verse is talking about? It's talking about your neighbor. And it's talking about my neighbor. And our relatives and our friends. Everybody in our lives. I hope that's just a ticket. Because if it's, yeah, if it's somebody being hurt, it could be somebody being ushered off into eternity. Yeah, I wonder if they've heard the gospel. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we praise you this morning for the glorious work of the cross that it can literally catapult sinners destined for hell into a glorious heaven with God. We thank you for the message of the cross. O oh Lord Jesus, may we, your people, see it as a lifeline to those who are perishing around us. Not just a lifeline, the lifeline to God. Help us, we pray in your precious name. Amen.